right, all right, here we go. It's episode 48 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. This is the NBA edition. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by NBA betting expert, got Mackenzie Rivers in the house. You guys can find him on Twitter as well, at Mac and Rivers. And you guys can get us at pregame.com. All right, Mackenzie, here we go. Uh, NBA Finals game number six, Golden State with the 3-2 lead going back to Boston. Now, what did you make of the last game? Did you take any nuggets out of that one? Very different from the series we've seen so far. Steph Curry... More like a point guard. Eight assists, only one turnover. A lot of people said he had a bad game. I don't think he even played a, a below average game when you just think about uh, plus 15 on the court. Didn't turn the ball over. That's the number one way a point guard can help his defense is to not turn the ball over. Getting wide open shots for Wiggins, Thompson, Poole. Uh, he continues to do it in, in any any way that is necessary. Boston had a little bit of a different defensive mentality. Still called drop coverage, but... Uh, Rob Williams, Al Horford stayed maybe just a, a second longer, a second higher up the court uh, to make things difficult. And Curry adjusted uh, like he tends to do. And I still think power ratings wise, if I was projecting these teams playing the rest of the league going forward, Celtics are just as good as the Warriors. But there's a reason why the Warriors were significant favorites. We were talking about it all series. Experience matters. Pressure moments are unlike Anything you felt at the Olympics, Jason Tatum, anything that you felt, Brown never felt anything like this at Berkeley or California or wherever you went to school. It's different. And quick stat to show how different it is. Jason Tatum has played 168 games in which he took at least six free throws. Only one time, Monday night, did he miss more than three of them. It's adding up. It's it's accumulating. The fact that they were so bad in the first quarter and so bad in the fourth quarter, I think just points to mentality-wise, uh, the the edge, the mental edge that the Warriors have been there before, done it before. Things go bad, no problem. Don't react. Don't react differently. And that's that's something that the Celtics haven't done. They were chirping at the refs. I know Tony Brothers, 4-12 and 12 ATS now since, since 2015. They were yelling at him. They were prob- I wonder if they gave him that stat. They said, hey, man, I mean, that's that's – there's only like a 20% chance this would happen by chance. What's going on here? Why don't why don't you like us? Why don't you like us, man? Uh, whatever they were saying, they were in their heads. It was clear, and, and their play play showed it. So, um, yeah, that was my that was my take on the game. So, Mackenzie, let me ask you this: After Game Five, let's just say certain players or certain things unfolded over Game Five. Do you feel like people have more opinions now than they did about the first four games? Yeah, it seems like the judge, jury, and executioner has come through and decided the series already. J.J. Redick saying, oh, I picked the Celtics, but clearly the Warriors are the better team. And all this Jason Tatum uh, hate, he's one of 10 players ever to average 23-7-7 in the finals. And he's doing it younger than anybody ever did. I don't really see where uh, this choke job that other people see. I see the Warriors a slight mental edge, a slightly more consistent uh, mentality being the difference in this series. But I'm not drastically reevaluating Jason Tatum after five games. I don't think Derek White suddenly shouldn't be on the court because he was bad in game five. When there's two days between games, you need some takes. And that's what I think that's what we're seeing. A lot of a lot of strong opinions off of uh off of just one game. you're hearing all the, the Andrew Wiggins now for MVP. Right. Curry, worst game of his career. It's kind of amateur hour. I, I feel like it's a you know, a lot of hot take hot shots after game five. So let's jump into a topic, Mackenzie, that I think that me and you have to figure out because there really hasn't been an answer to this, and that's favorites in the playoffs. It seems as if the line just does not matter. We talked about this, what, a couple, couple games ago, and now it's kind of rearing its ugly head, and now it seems like it's a talking point. You know, the Warriors uh, in the third quarter were so dominant, and everybody, uh, they were running, running to the betting window and cutting the line to go ahead and bet the Warriors in the third quarter, and that, that kind of made the rounds, and it feels like now that the line just doesn't matter and that the, that the spread doesn't matter, and that's kind of making the rounds now too. But what I want to do, Mackenzie, is I kind of want to drill down and just maybe try to figure this out on why the hell is this happening? Like, what what can you and I come up with to say, here's why the spread doesn't matter? Do you have any answer whatsoever? What would be your number one answer when it comes to the spread not mattering and, and your reason why? Yes, I do have an answer. I've said it on this podcast, and it's made us some money. This is the basic concept that I don't think uh, can be drilled home enough because the market doesn't change as fast as the NBA does. Just a couple of years ago, 2018, the new rule that people forget about, shot clock only goes to 14 after an offensive rebound. 
drastic change, you know, over the course of 200 possessions in a game, 100 for each side. We see that with the totals going up. We see that playing style is different. The three ball that leads to transition has created, has accelerated or amplified the fact that the NBA is a game of runs drastically. Throw some crazy stats at you. 68 times since 2010, the NBA final spread has been less than six. 68 times over the last 68 games in the NBA finals when the spread is less than six, the spread has not mattered. Because when you're down nine or you're down four and then it gets to seven, you start playing suboptimal basketball and you often lose by 12, 14 points. Two minutes to go, might be a tie game. One miss three leads to one fast break and one and that team usually ends up winning by seven, eight. We saw it in game four, tied all the way through. Steph Curry hits a three, pushed the lead up to four with three minutes to go, ended up being a 10-point game. So it's just it's the way the basketball is played, and there's a reason why the last two years, favorites are 59% ATS, 58% this year, 60% last year, because they tend to have that last run. In a game of runs, whoever has the last run usually wins, and they usually win comfortably. So I, I, I did some research here, did my own research, and the spread is mattered in 10% of games approximately this playoffs. Second lowest ever. Lowest ever last year, spread mattered in only 6.5% of NBA games. So big picture, totals have gone up, but this effect is more than just higher scoring. So since 2000 to 2010, so that's Lakers basketball, it's a lot of one-on-one uh, you know, Kobe era, Vince Carter era, lower scoring games, a lot of rule changes that uh, hadn't had taken place to open up the scoring. So in that era, 2000, 2010, 16% of the time in the playoffs spread mattered. And then you see 2010 to 2018, about 15%. So it's dropping, but just a little bit. And in the last three years, it's almost half of what it used to be. It's only 9% of the time, the last three years in the playoffs, the spread mattered. Look at these playoffs and say, how would it have affected you if you had this mentality of, okay, if the spread doesn't matter, I want to bet favorites with the spread, don't mind laying the points, and I want to bet underdogs on the money line, because when they win, high variance, they usually win by not only a couple points, they usually win by a decent margin. So if you bet every favorite on the spread in this playoffs, 58%, you'd be up $1,010 if you're $100 better. If you would have bet the money line, you would have done worse. Only $800 up. But with the real eye-popping number is if you would have bet every underdog, again, only 41% of the time you would have covered, on the spread, you'd be down $1,900. However, if you would have bet every underdog on the money line, even though they've done worse than expectations, you'd only be down $800. So less than half of the downfall if you pet underdogs on the money line. So takeaway, until further notice, I don't see a reason why you should be betting a plus four, for example, game six line, Warriors plus four. You should be betting the money line. On the other hand, I know it sucks to lose by a half point, to lose on a meaningless three, but it's really rare and far in between that you're going to lose on the spread, lay in three and a half or four points. So bet favorites on the spread, bet money lines on the underdog is my piece of advice. Here's why I think that the spread hasn't mattered, McKenzie, and it goes back to what you said when it came to runs. I think when you have two really good teams, let's just say the two best teams in the league, and one team gets down by 15, if we take away the closeout situation, that there's another day to live and play basketball. Like, why am I going to run my starters out there for an extra, you know, 12 minutes or eight minutes or nine minutes? You know, we're down 15 points against this team that we know um, is going to be able to hold this lead and, and not give it up. Are there circumstances where that happens? Sure there are. But, you know, if Boston's up 15 points and Golden State's on the road and, and there's eight minutes left, you know, do you think Kerr's going to go ahead and have his, his guys go out there and play all the way to the buzzer and end up losing the game by five or six when they know that they're not going to uh, end up winning that game? Uh, interesting conversation with that. Let's talk Curry. Not a good game there, McKenzie, as far as three-point shooting snapped uh what was it like 233 games he he made in a row like a three-point shot or something like that yep regular season and playoffs 233 consecutive what uh was more astounding to me is that he had never done this in the playoffs he had never made zero threes in 130 career playoff games until game five of the 2022 nba finals that is insane like that dude is that good 
that he could do that. Draymond Green said this in his interview. He was actually happy. I kind of felt the same way as, as probably some of the Golden State players like kind of felt, that they were happy that Curry had this game. Not the fact that he went out and had a bad game and that he's going to be pissed off that the streak got broken. They felt like that this was going to make him livid is what Draymond said. And he just gave this half smile and like he was like, that's not going to be a good thing for Boston. I don't know how you felt about that, but that was the comments that I heard from Draymond. Like, do you think that Curry bounces back? Because that seems to be one of the hot takes that I'm hearing is that, oh, Curry's going to come in here and he's going to go he's going to go crazy. I don't think he needs to bounce back. I don't think he has anything to bounce back from. I get it. I get it. 7 for 22, not good. 0 for 9 from 3, not good. And you look at shot quality, uh, he actually had 27.7 expected points, which was the lowest of the series. So when he was missing, he decided he took a lot less shots and he wasn't getting as good of shots. There's some screenshots. Shout out at Guru tweeted this out of just Curry giving up the ball 40 feet from the basket, 35 feet from the basket, and there's two Celtics next to him. There's a whole lot of space and four Warriors and three Celtics about to do battle. And I like the Warriors' chances. It's very reminiscent of 2015 when he didn't win the finals MVP because the Cavaliers just started selling out to try to stop him. Wasn't a good strategy. Draymond Green coming downhill, four on three, is going to make a good decision most of the time. Same thing with Andre Iguodala. Now you probably replace that role with Andrew Wiggins. I think he played well. And here's a good stat that I think kind of cements uh, Curry's legacy. And it's not only the foundation of his leadership and he's a good guy and he, he'll you know support you at, at the press conference and make you feel like you deserve to be the star that you are. And he does all those things. And the organization is really good at supporting its guys. But on the court, the way that he plays, it makes it so easy to be effective as his teammate. Andrew Wiggins is the perfect example. So Andrew Wiggins, in these playoffs, he's had a good playoffs. Some people think he's had a great playoffs. So kind of like these finals. He's had a good finals. Wouldn't say he had a great, he's had a great finals. You know, not shooting that great, 18 points a game. But in the playoffs, when Steph Curry's on the court, drawing all those guys to him, 56% effective field goal percentage for Andrew Wiggins, an elite number. When he's off the court, Steph Curry, that drops to 36% for Wiggins. We saw it in the last game. He was one for four, you know, taking some tough fadeaways, taking some tough shots with Curry off the floor, 10 for 19 when he's on the floor. So I think, uh, I don't think he has anything to bounce back from. I think he played decently. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays a similar game, gets more assists than threes again, and uh, just kind of responds to, the, the way the Celtics are playing him, they're playing him a little different. He plays a little different. His shot's not falling. He's, he plays a little different. And that's the mark of a great player, uh, getting the job done, winning the game. He said after game four, when he scored 40, I don't rate my performances. I just win the game. So let me ask you this, because I consider you to be a statistical genius and you know all the websites to go and look this stuff up. But this is something that I've really never heard anybody mention before. We go through a basketball game the other day and there were big shots that were made. I don't want to say a game-saving shot, but let's just say a big shot. Like that Jordan Poole shot. Massive. Right, that was massive. Like if you could say this shot was more important than that one, that would be one that you would you know, have a, have a circle around, right, McKenzie? That's an interesting concept, like game-changing shots, if there was a way to, to statistically track that. I'm not sure how, how one, one could, but it's an, go, go ahead. It's an interesting concept. So let's take what happened to Curry, okay? He was 0 for 9, and we saw multiple times in that game where he looked like he was going to spot up and shoot a 3, and he said, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And maybe he dished it, or maybe he got into the paint. And I felt like there were a lot of shots from Golden State in general in that game, and a lot of them came from Curry that had the circle around it. I think there was a clay 3 that had the circle around it. I think Wiggins had... Uh, a couple big buckets that had the circle around it. At some point, we should say, this guy didn't have a bad game. He might not have made any threes, but boy, he made eight out of his 12 shots that were big baskets, that that just were momentum shifters. Mm -hmm. We always talk about that moment. And I felt like the Warriors had about eight moments in that game, and they came from multiple players. But I felt like the fact that Curry was being the guarded the way that he was, that he had those moments inside, 
and that other players benefited and had those moments too because of what they were doing to him. I think that would be an amazing stat because when somebody points the finger, it's like worst game of his career. And you could say, yeah, but he altered this game in such a way. And, and we have a way to measure that because it would poke holes in, you know, some of the Monday morning quarterback uh, crazy opinion. I like that concept a lot. And it goes back to what we were just talking about with uh, the NBA being a game of runs. It's like a run stopping shot. Sometimes it's just like a two point 20 footer. It just, all right, we can set our defense now. And it just completely changes the feel of the game, the momentum of the game. And I feel like the best players have the best grasp of what's needed, what's going to get my guys going, or what's going to shut down what the other team is doing. Larry Bird, for some reason, that name pops in my head. A lot of people say a lot of guys are better than him. You know, look at this metric, look at that metric. And I'm like, if you watch the games, and I'm a nerd enough where I've watched, you know, more than a few Celtics, old Celtics games on YouTube. He just found ways not to let his team lose. He just like didn't turn the ball over. He just like got that rebound. He got that one steal, obviously, inflicted to uh, Dennis Johnson for the game winner against the Pistons. But it's it's like this unquantifi- unquantifiable factor that uh, is is so telling with the best of the best. It feels to me like sometimes like it's the uh, you know it's the front page of the newspaper shot, and then every other shot doesn't doesn't really matter. I, and I feel like that there's a you know, there's a gray area there where it's there. There should be important, important shots. And I felt like Curry filled his bucket up last game. So I, I felt like he put, actually played really, really well. All right, so let's shift away from Curry here. Let's talk about our best bets, McKenzie. Six and zero run. I hit my best bet last game. You hit your best bet last game. I ended up with Draymond Green over six and a half points. Uh, I felt really good about Draymond. I felt that he would bounce back. He was thrown under the bus for two straight games. Guy's terrible. He's lost his touch. How was he even in this league anymore? And I tried to tell everybody, I'm like, look, dude, like, Draymond's one of my favorite players. I love the way he plays the game. There is no way that that dude is going back to Golden State and, and laying a clunker. He played defense the way he always plays defense. He was out there assisting the basketball, rebounding. And I felt like he would go ahead and, and help at least contribute in the point department because – he needed to like he needed to go ahead and, and kind of get the monkey off his back and get get the crowd off his back and everybody talking about him. So I felt really good about that. Now then, your best bet, McKenzie, was uh, was pretty awesome too. What'd you have? Warriors team total never really a sweat. A few late threes, kind of maybe a little you know minutes ago had three and a half points to give, but uh, yeah, Warriors under one hundred seven and a half. I said they very well might win the game, but the way Boston's defense is playing, I don't see a lot changing. And now four out of five times Warriors have gone under their team total in this series, but it's about margin in this uh, in this thing called sports and competition. And they don't mind scoring 104 if they're not turning the ball over, they're on their P's and Q's, and they're holding the Celtics to 94. I'm guessing that one of your loudest cheers was when, I think it was Damon Lee or Moody with about 51 seconds bricked the three-pointer. I'm guessing that was probably one of your biggest cheers yes. in the game. That you're you are you are speaking my language. That was the sigh of relief. It was exactly the opposite feeling of Jordan Poole hitting a 38 footer off glass when he caught the ball with like half a second to go. I mean, Jordan Poole's cool. It was, it was a nice moment. Chase Center went crazy, but as a guy that had a team total under ticket, uh, not what you want to see. I figured I was like, if McKenzie's probably cheering right now because I was cheering too because I wanted to hit another best bet. So uh, it's been six in a row. Let's go, McKenzie and I. We have best bets coming up. So. Uh, Make sure you guys stay stay for that. We also have a couple other wagers here as well. Mackenzie, I, I wanna I kinda wanna play a game here. So let's do a Jeopardy thing here. Let's just say it's final Jeopardy. Mackenzie, you have Ken Jennings. We'll say he's on the right, and we'll say that James Holzenauer is on your left. If you get this question right, you win. <laughs> Here's the answer. Heading into game six of the NBA finals on Thursday, this NBA player wants to win a title this season more than any other player on the court. Like this question, I talked on the last pod about deathbed type moments, you know, things that you'll always remember. That 
one shot, that one moment, a lot of these guys I feel like are aware of how much this is going to affect the rest of their lives. I think Al Horford, who's the oldest guy or the guy with the most playoff games to never make the finals, likely doesn't get back here at 36, going to be a free agent soon. It's a big contract to pick up if the Celtics uh, were going to pay him anywhere similar money that he's used to being paid. So this might be it for Al Horford. I think, uh, you know, he can't affect the game as much as some of his other guys, but as far as want to, I think he's at the top of the list. All right. Well, I didn't consider Al Horford, to be honest with you, but you swayed me into thinking that Al Horford most certainly wants to win more than anybody on Boston. But I'm going to say it's Clay Thompson. I don't think there's any other player on the floor that wants to win a title more than that guy. The last time that he was on the floor in the NBA Finals, that's exactly where he was. He was on the floor grabbing at his knee, blew his knee out. Mm. And I think you probably would agree, and everybody listening to this podcast, that you know, had KD not gone down and Clay gone down, they'd probably go on and they beat Toronto. And that was, you know, that that's a heartbreaker for a guy to not only lose the title, but to know that you're not playing basketball for the next season. And not only that, he goes through rehabs, watches his team play absolutely terrible. They get blown out that they're worst team in, in the league. Steph Curry ends up getting hurt. Like it was just, it was bad all around. And the whole time Clay's trying to rehab, 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 and probably trying to keep in it mentally, you know, wondering, you know, if his knee was ever going to get better. And then, you know, here comes Clay, you know, everybody's talking about Clay and bang, blows his Achilles out. What a nightmare. Misses another season. And it was like, dude, like, I'm never going to be healthy again. We're not going to win the title anymore. This team's going to end up breaking up or whatever the case might be. You know, we saw images of of Clay on the sideline, you know, in street clothes, whipping seat cushions because he was just so frustrated that, you know, that he wasn't able to get out there. And it was going to take him time. And look, it took Clay, you know, what, half of this year, McKenzie, to go ahead and get back. And that was one of the things that we talked about, you know, on, on some of our podcasts was, you know, what Clay's going to come back. He's going to be okay. He's going to be healthier. Uh, this Warriors team is going to be much, much better. And that was one of the reasons why I picked the Warriors to win the title in the beginning of the year and why I really stamped um, the Warriors to go ahead and win the title was that, you know, you can downplay Clay, and it's going to take him a little while. I mean, you know, thank God for guys like Jordan Poole at the end of the season. You know, they kind of really pulled together, and Clay Thompson kind of got it going. I don't think there's any other player that is as hungry as Clay Thompson to get back there and win the title. And I don't know if you saw the interview after Game Five there, McKenzie, but Clay Thompson had a look in his eye, and he said, "I I am so excited to go back to Boston." He's like, "This is the the most anticipated trip for me to have to go back there." Like he is excited to go back to Boston because I think Clay, with the look in his eye, he knows they're going to win the title, and I think he knows that. And I think Andrew Wiggins knows that. Uh, you just talked about Wiggins and how impressive that he. I mean, dude, I, can you can you think of a better game that that guy could have came up with? Like, you couldn't have asked for a better game from that guy. And he had that he had that same look in his eye in his press conference, and he was like. I'm excited right now. He had a big smile. He he knows, dude, it's one more game. One more game and I'm going to be an NBA champion. And Draymond kind of felt the same way. And as I talked about, Draymond said, you know, Curry's going to be livid. Draymond had that same look. Like this Warriors team has that look in their eye right now, and it's 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 not good. But I, I think the, the hungriest player there, McKenzie, is Clay Thompson. So I'm not sure how you feel about that, but I, I think it's, it's a real tough case to pick anybody else. Um, against Clay because I feel like he was the guy that, that went through more crap than anybody to get back here. I like that answer. I like that answer a lot because obviously everyone wants to win. Everyone's legacy is going to change tremendously with the finals win versus the finals loss. But Curry's already minted. You know, I mean, he's won MVPs. He's going to be a face that everyone knows. Draymond Green has his own podcast. He's been in the league forever. He never missed a serious time. Uh, you know, he got to go to all-star games. He got that love. Clay Thompson, two years, back-to-back years, ACL and Achilles, that's like 15, 20% of a guy's career, generally. And he was not in the limelight. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure he uh, is always a guy to, that wants to be in front of cameras, but, you know, there's a reason you want to be an NBA athlete like his dad was, like Steph Curry's dad was. They were, you know, it's 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 the time of your life. It's the prime of your life. And to be able to come back to the finals and win it, completely changes uh 
you know, mentally for him, what these last three years meant. You know, it was the hardest challenge of his life, and he met it if he wins. So I think I think Thompson has a lot to gain because, you know, a lot of people have won three championships. Very, very few have won four, uh, or a lot less anyway. So I, I think you're right. I think that, I think that's a good answer. I think on the Celtics, Al Horford, and on the Warriors, probably the guy that's hungriest. I mean, he jumped in the bay. Uh, to rejuvenate himself with the healing powers of the ocean for a reason. He said, you know, that's my second happy place. The hardwood is my happy place. You know, this is the joy that he's missed out on. And and he can, it'll all seem worth it if uh, if it ends up being, uh, if they end up winning it. And I think one of the reasons why Clay is kind of grasping this from, let's just say like a spiritual place, McKenzie, instead of just being a basketball player, is that he realized like, I'm going to lose a lot of money, man. And not only am I going to lose a lot of money, there's a potential that I might not play basketball again because how many guys could recover from those two type of injuries back to back like that? Like that, I mean, that had a mentally kind of crush him where, you know, he wondered if he would ever be able to play again or, or get an NBA contract and make money and, and feel the joy of winning a title, knowing that, you know, that, that there's a title team sitting there right in front of him. So I think clay plays his best game of the series. And I'm not looking at it from an offensive standpoint here, McKenzie. I'm looking at it from a defensive standpoint. Clay's been thrown under the bus, talking about he looks like he's a step slower. Uh, his defense isn't up to par where it needs to be. And I don't know if you agree with me or McKenzie, but I think Clay played pretty damn good defensively the last two games. Oh, 100%. And uh, I got some grief for, for saying that Clay Thompson's defensive was looked you know pretty much all right, and then he got torched in the Maverick series a few times and he didn't look like himself. And yeah, he's not maybe himself, but Jalen Brown in the fourth quarters, game four, game five, clay versus Jalen shooting guard versus shooting guard. Uh, it was, it was an unfair fight. It looked like Jalen Brown was an absolute zero in back-to-back fourth quarters with clay as his primary defender. I don't think that was a coincidence at all. I think, I think he's an above average defender at this point, a significantly above average defender at this point, even if it's not athleticism, even if it's all guile, uh, you know, there's a reason why he was an all NBA defender before. And I think he's, and he's clearly much better now than he was at the beginning of the playoffs when he said, Hey, my legs aren't under me yet. I, I'm still feeling my way back into this thing. I think we've seen him improve. I think the thing that a lot of people got wrong here, McKenzie, is that, you know, we talk about this in the NBA, we talk about it in the NFL and, and probably even in major league baseball, the playoffs are a different animal. It's a much higher speed. It's a different type of game. You know, you better have your legs under you. When you have a guy like that and Clay, you know, coming back, it was like, boom, like now you're in the playoffs, dude. It's a completely different speed. So, of course, it's going to take him a little bit longer probably to just get acclimated to like, oh, crap, I'm in the playoffs now. Uh, this is a little bit faster of a game than I than I anticipated or that I was playing in the regular season. I need to I need to get up to speed now. And I feel like Clay has that confidence, especially after the last two games. But I think that there's a hunger inside him that is going to motivate him to play probably his best defensive game. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and give you guys my best bet now. I'm going to go ahead and play Jalen Brown under 24 and a half points, and I believe Klay Thompson is a big factor in that. And I also believe Andrew Wiggins is a big factor in that as well. And I'll also throw one of the unsung heroes from the last game, Gary Payton. Um, I think he's a big factor as well. I think they're going to look to lock down somebody on Boston. And I don't think it's going to be able to be Jason Tatum because I believe Tatum is going to take a lot of volume in this game. Tatum has said, look, I, I got to shoot the basketball. He was hesitant. He said that he was uh, not not just, you know, getting to the rack with, with authority, uh, just not playing Jason Tatum basketball. And I think a lot of people would agree that Tatum, you know, he's not out there doing his, you know, 30 or 40 point game. And, and look, it's, it's the finals. It's going to be hard. But I think Tatum takes a lot of volume away from Brown in this game. And I think Brown is going up against three guys that are just really good defensive players and probably playing the best defense that they've played all throughout these entire playoffs. And I think Brown's going to struggle here, McKenzie. And he hasn't exactly looked great. I mean, if you take him off the free throw line throughout the finals, uh, Jalen Brown is not hitting 24 and a half points. And I think it's inflated a little bit too because they're coming back home. I think this is a game in which the, the tempo has to be slower for Boston. And a lot of that is due to the fact that this team cannot stop turning the ball over. So I think he gets less volume. I think he's defended super heavily against any guy that that, go, that steps in front of him. I don't. I. I they're not going to put Steph Curry on Jalen Brown. So I think he ends up with some real 
uh, minus EV matchups uh, in this in this particular game. So I love Jalen Brown under 24 and a half points. That's what I'm going with. What do you think about that, McKenzie? Do I have your stamp of approval on that? You got strong agreement from me. In fact, full disclosure, while you were talking, I went into my pregame account and I made that uh, a pick for my clients. You can find me on pregame.com. Other picks will be involved. That one, obviously, you know, so no secret there. Uh, a lot of things to like about this. One thing you didn't mention uh, that's going to really help you, I think, is Gary Payton. He played 25 minutes, his most minutes, 26 minutes in Game 5. Seems to be fully back. Uh, very good Jalen Brown stopper. Came right in in the fourth quarter, immediately stripped him. First play, Payton's in. They throw it to Brown, immediately stripped him. That's not a matchup that he likes. And here's the thing. You talk about the, the Celtics' slower total or slower pace. There's a reason why this total, now 210, dropping in some places, is as low as it's been in this series. Later in series, slower games, less scoring. So tell me why the Celtics are exposed to score less. Jason Tatum's prop, 28.5, is as high as it's been. And Jalen Brown's prop, 24.5, is as high as it's been. It, it's The market is saying, well, the best players, desperation, super high usage. I think that might be true in Tatum's case. Uh, you know, you like you mentioned, he said he's got to shoot more, and he finally had a good shooting game, 50%, 10 for 20, finally broke out of his his shooting slump. And for all of the grief that Jason Tatum has got the last couple of weeks for how he's been playing, look at his true shooting percentage, 50%. It's not a good number. Not a good number for the series, 50%. Jalen Brown, who a lot of people said should have been the MVP favorite uh, when, they were, when the Celtics were favored in the series, 51%. Half as many assists, almost as many turnovers, and shooting about the same, and scoring, by the way, two less points, only 21 points per game uh, for the series. So I think the Celtics are not going to go to Brown more. I think they're going to go to Brown as much or less. He's only averaging 17 shots per game in the playoffs. So if he shoots anywhere close to this kind of inefficiency, and he's only shooting about 17 times, maybe it goes up a shot or two. I think this number is too high. I think it's at least two points too high without the Clay Thompson factor, without the uh, potential increased intensity on defense, just from the raw numbers, it's two points too high in my opinion. And I think you make some excellent points. So yeah, I like it a lot. I stole it from you and I, I gave it out to my subscribers. So I appreciate it. Thank you for the pick. All right. No problem there. We, we talked last game, McKenzie, if Golden State were to lose you know, who is the player that they were going to blame or, you know, what, who, would the, who would the media blame? And I, I said it would be Draymond. And I think what makes my pick strong on Brown is that if Boston loses a series on Thursday and the series is over, who are they going to point the finger at? They're not pointing it at Jalen Brown. They're not going to point it at Marcus Smart. It's going to get pointed at Jason Tatum. No doubt. And if Tatum knows that, there is no way that he doesn't go out here and try to get 40 under his belt and try to will his team to a win. I think it helps his legacy, but I think it helps him as a leader of this basketball team to go out there and just take command and be a leader and go out there and, and just lay it all on the line. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if Tatum has a big game, but I really think that just the fact that, that he knows that he could be blamed. And that it sucks that we're in a society like that, McKenzie, where you know, we blame people for losing. Um, how about giving the guy credit for freaking being here? Exactly. When has the takeaway from a series ever been, wow, both teams played really well and one team was better? That's never the takeaway when really it should be at least like half the time. But no, it's always who choked, who's the dog, who's who, who, uh, you know, who can never live this down. And you're right. It, it does suck. It's, it's not an honest way to analyze these games or to, to look at what's actually going on. And I think that the, the society that we live in today is, um, unfortunately it, it gets in players' heads. And I think that, you know, Tatum will react in a way that he's going to be viewed as a failure, which that should not be the way that that guy thinks. And, you know, if they do lose this game, you know, hopefully he'll, he holds his head high and he goes out there and gives his best effort. But that's one of the reasons why I really think that Brown uh, will not see the productivity um, that he's seen. And, you know, let's go back to like first quarters with that guy. Like Brown has been really good in the first quarters, but I have a gut feeling, McKenzie, that, that we see a really slow fourth quarter here. One, Boston has to slow down. They cannot turn the ball over the way that they have been. I mean, that that's in their DNA. But some of that stuff is at least, I don't want to say it's preventable when you play the way that Boston does, but you could at least try to you know limit the amount of damage. And I think that Boston is going to come into this game, and I think they're going to try to play a little bit slow because they understand that you know Golden State in transition 
they're hurting them and, and you can't you can't let Golden State run and gun. But I think Golden State looks at this and they and I think they realize that that their defense is one of the reasons why they won the last game. And I think they come into this game trying to make a defensive statement early and really not trying to run a whole lot. And I don't know if you agree with this, McKenzie, but I but I feel this. I feel like Steph Curry might not take a lot of threes to start this game because we saw what happened with Draymond Green when he went into Boston and we were, you know, talking about the ejections and all that crap like that. And they were all over Draymond. And he did not respond very well. He didn't have some good games there in Boston. And I feel if Curry goes out here and he starts launching up threes early, maybe even the first one, and he misses it, they're going to be like, air ball, air ball. Maybe the second one goes up, air ball, brick, whatever, you know, Curry, you suck or something like that. Like, I don't think he wants to go out there and and keep this crowd in it by missing baskets. So uh, he's been really effective, you know, shooting the, shooting the short stuff and getting to the rack. I think we see that. So I think Golden State probably shoots less threes here. I think a lot of that is probably Curry, you know, taking charge of uh, let's just get what we need, you know, when we need it, and let's not look for the hero ball um, right now. So I don't know if you agree with that kind of take there, McKenzie, but I do think we see a slower first quarter. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play the under in the first quarter, 52 and a half. I know that hasn't been exactly the greatest bet uh, for these finals, but I think that this is a, a completely different game, completely different animal. We see completely different basketball, and these are two of the two best defensive teams in the league. So I'm going to go under the 52.5 in the first quarter. I'm not sure what you think about that or how you feel about that, but I'm going to go ahead and play that. I kind of feel the same thing. I kind of feel this is going to be a very cagey beginning of the game. You say the Celtics turnovers are not preventable. I mean, Celtics fans are pulling their hair out. They're like, oh, are you talking about it? They, like, they do this. It seems like turnovers in the NFL and the NBA are just so preventable to everybody that's never played the sport. Like, it's it's not easy. It's It's not... You can't just, okay, we're going to get a good shot. Walk down, give it to this guy, get a good shot. No, you have to, uh, you know, take risks. You have to try to get around your defender with speed. And a lot of that time, the only way to do that is to leave yourself open. And the Warriors, not a great blocking team, but a great deflection team, get a lot of turnovers. And the Celtics, with their home crowd behind them, uh, really can't let that happen. They can't let transition put them out of the game early. We've talked about it. Half-court offense for the Warriors hasn't been good. 95 offensive uh, half-court rating in Game 5 that they won. Uh, but the transition has been the key. The transition, excellent, 120-plus offensive rating throughout this series. And in general, I like this pick because finals games, late finals games, are often lower scoring. And they're often lower scoring early. So I ran this finals games after Game 5, so Games 5 and Game 6. First quarters averaging a point lower than all the other quarters, uh, at least. 23.1 average points per game in the first quarter. Every other quarter is about 24, 24 and a half. So it makes a lot of sense that these, you know, biggest moments of their lives to start the game, crowd as loud as it's ever going to be to start the game at home, championship on the line, uh, might start might start off a little slow. Makes a lot of sense to me. 52 and a half is a low number, lower than it's been, but uh, it's only a point off of where it was in game five. So makes sense to me. I think the last thing you want to do on the road here again in, against Boston in Boston is is to go ahead and, and run around and, and just you know play piss poor defense and, and just get out to this track meet where you know the home team. I think regardless of the fact, McKenzie, if you're in a track meet against the home team, um, that you stand a chance of end up you know down a, a good decent amount of points. And I think that Golden State wants to avoid that. So I wouldn't be shocked if they play this a little bit slow. I agree with you with Curry, where I could see him having a big second half after a quieter first half. Reminds me a lot of 2019 Western Conference Finals. KD goes down, semifinals, I'm sorry, against the Houston Rockets. Zero points, 0 for 5 in Game 6 for Curry in the first half. Five shots, obviously not very much. Usually averages about 20. Second half, he scores 33. Probably plays the half of his life at Houston, where I don't think he plans to go 0 for 5, but I definitely see him easing himself into this game. Uh, hopefully giving Wiggins some confidence, hopefully getting game six Clay some confidence. And uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me that mentality wise, Curry, we saw this a lot with Jordan actually, where the first quarter, couple shots, not really pressing the issue, kind of seeing how they're playing them. And then later in the game, um, you know, he takes advantage. I do want to talk a little bit about Jordan, but I do want to talk about something that you kind of just brought up there with Curry and that's experience. How far do you think the experience goes right now? Like, for, let's just say in, in this game and, and maybe game seven, 
what kind of value are you putting on experience right now when it comes to the line? I'm going to say it's a half point just because of, you know, you talked about Curry you know, going back in, into these weird series and, and, and there's a, like that stuff has to matter. Boston has zero experience. Golden State has experience. So, you know, a lot of people say that these two teams are kind of even and I get it, but I think, you know, the experience, it, it, it's, it's a half a point in my opinion. I think Kerr right now has separated himself, um, that he's probably worth a half a point, in my opinion. I think coaching right now, and, and we, we can get into, you know, what the hell uh, Boston looked like in the fourth quarter of the last game. I mean, they looked like they were running to the floor. I mean, I don't think he did them guys any favors. I think Kerr is, you know, using his um, using his bench so much better. I think, I, I think Kerr is probably worth almost, you know, a half a point. So uh, I'm looking at the experience of coaching as, as being – you know, uplifters, at least in the line for me, I, that's just my personal opinion, but go back to the experience, Mackenzie, are, are you factoring that in more now than, than you did in the beginning? Yes. And I actually plan to, I actually thought experience would matter more. And I think the market did. I think the market was telling us games five, six, and seven, the Warriors were going to have, going to have an edge. And it's funny that you mentioned the coaching and the experience separately, because the number that popped in my head was one, one point. And I was really combining those two factors, just organizationally, foundationally, you know, needing it, needing this moment. The Celtics, uh, they haven't changed much. And they've said, you know, we're, we're going to play our game. And maybe it's because they don't have that many options. Over the course of the regular season, they were third last in the NBA out of 30 teams in bench points. That really reared its ugly head in game five where they couldn't play anybody. Grant Williams, a minus 37 in this series, just can't play him at that point. I'm not sure. I mean, Ime Adoke, a rookie head coach, you would think, is uh, inferior to, to Steve Kerr, one of the best coaches in the NBA, and he he might be. That might prove out. I will say this, though. Very rare for a first-year NBA coach to win the NBA title. It happened with Paul Westfall, winning time, 1980. Happened with Pat Riley when he replaced him two years later. That might be season two. Wouldn't be surprised. In 1982. And then it didn't happen until Steve Kerr in 2015. And since then, we've seen it a lot. Ty Lu, Nick Nurse, and Ime Adoka uh, doesn't look likely. It looks like about 23% chance, according to the Vegas odds, that he'll add his name to that list. But uh, just kind of an oddity that rookie head coaches would have this renaissance right after Steve Kerr uh, did something that hadn't been done for you know, 30 years. All right. Well, that's an interesting take. But you brought up Jordan. So I have to circle back to Jordan. So I'm going to give you a daily double here, McKenzie. So when it comes to Michael Jordan, this is the way I felt, and this is the way I've always felt about Jordan. He is the most mental player that I've ever seen play the game. He will screw you up mentally so bad that you you don't even stand a chance to win the game. And look, if he gets after you before the game tips off, good luck. If he gets after you throughout the, the entire first quarter, whenever Jordan gets at you, his game is mental. Not only is he beating you physically, but he is going to beat you mentally. If you can come up with the next most mental player that you've ever seen in the NBA, who would that be? Because I have a pick my, myself. I, I have one guy that I that I think is the next most mental player next to Jordan. Who would you would you say that might be? Kenny the Jet Smith got some grief when he said this, but I kind of get what he means. Steph Curry is the modern day Michael Jordan. I think it's Steph Curry. I think uh, as far as you know. Jordan used to say a dunk is worth more than two points because it takes a little bit of the heart out of your competition. Steph Curry with that 40-footer to end the game in the third quarter is just unlike anyone else as far as just rip, ripping your heart out and knowing when to. So I would say Steph Curry. All right. Well, that's crazy because I think Steph Curry is the right answer. And you're you're a Jordan guy. And when you compare players to Jordan, when anybody compares it compares anybody to Jordan – I'm guessing that you probably get a little squeamish and you're like, you know, who are you to compare anybody to my guy? And you know what, Mackenzie, if, if that's the way that you feel, um, I, I don't, I don't disagree with your feelings with that, but I feel like Curry is probably the second most mental player that I've ever seen play this game next to Jordan. And he'll take your life away from you. He'll take your soul away from you. And I've talked about this on these podcasts and although he didn't do it last game, I think Boston's going into this game, McKenzie, saying, uh-oh, we might have poked the bear. This dude's going to go off on us. We need to pay a lot of extra attention to him. And I think Boston mentally might be spending some time on that. 
I think Boston might all also be mentally worried about a guy like Wiggins, who you just woke up one of the better players in the league, one of the you know, all-star, one of the better players on this team. And, and I don't think anybody from Boston kind of kind of thought that, that, that Wiggins would, would come out here and, and, and beat them. Andrew Wiggins beat the Boston Celtics in the last game uh, because of the way that he played that game. Went out there and had 13 rebounds and, and 26 points or whatever he had. He's put two games back-to-back together. And I think that they know that they're going to get a Curry that's pissed off, a Draymond Green that's not going to play timid in Boston this time. I think that they're going to get an Andrew Wiggins that's playing at the top of his game and probably a Clay Thompson that is probably the most hungry player on the floor. And I think mentally that this becomes a mental game. I think Curry's going to take advantage of that. And I think Boston is going to wear down here, McKenzie. That's just the way that I feel. We're talking about the Boston head coach. I don't know if you saw them in the fourth quarter there, McKenzie. I'm sure you did. But he ran those guys into the ground. They looked whipped. They looked tired. And I do not want a whipped, tired team that if they're mentally drained coming into this game, worried about a lot of you know X's and O's and players and a lot of narratives and things like that, I would rather have that team on the road. I don't want Boston at home. And here's why. This crowd's got to come out here insane. And I think this team probably comes out here uh, running and gunning uh, with with the full, with the, the throttle wide open. And I think we're going to see a mental and physical drain from Boston early in this game. And I think Golden State takes advantage of that because they just play it cool. They play it calm. I think Kerr has actually dealt with moments throughout these finals to where he said, look, guys, we're down 10, whatever. We're right where we want to be. He's the calmer guy, and I feel like Boston just mentally is going to wear down here, and Curry's going to get in their head at some point in this game and just put that dagger in them. And I think Draymond's going to be in their ear, and he's going to be talking his crap. And I think mentally Golden State's going to turn that switch from we're playing NBA basketball finals games to now we're going to add the mental element to this, and we're really going to see how much Boston can take. And I think it's like a championship rounds. I'm going to drag you into the deepest waters that you've ever been in against a team that's experienced. And that's why I think this experience matters so much. But I feel like Boston mentally breaks down here. They've never been here. They've never dealt with this before. So I really like the Warriors in this game. I think the series is over. I told you this two podcasts ago that if Golden State ended up winning in game four, that the series was over. And you said that you wouldn't go that far, but I still feel like that. I think the moment's too big for Boston, mentally drained, physically drained right now. I think Curry's going to take their heart in a couple couple spots in this game. That, that's kind of the way I'm feeling right now. It's the mental part that I don't think Boston's ready for. Kind of agree. Kind of agree. And it's I might sound hypocritical for people that were just listening to the main uh, dream preview. Because uh, I was saying over the series, I think I've upgraded the Celtics a little bit. I think I've upgraded them about a half a point. By the way, that's what the market's done. Game three, they were three and a half point favorites. Game six, they're four point favorites. But I think I've upgraded them on a power ratings basis versus anybody else besides Golden State because I do think the mental part of this is is huge. And you look at game one, when did they do well? Game one, down by 12, threw a bunch of threes, made nine to 12. They were kind of playing with house money. It didn't really matter if they missed a bunch of shots and they lost the first game by 20 instead of you know 12, which was what they were down entering the fourth. That's a very, very different situation. Game one down on the road versus at home, must win, favored to win, crowd going crazy. Like you said, uh, this team's just better on the road. Nine and three ATS in the playoffs on the road versus only five and six at home. So I kind of lean Golden State, even though I I think the Celtics uh, starting five has proven uh, to be an elite squad. You know, probably a team that should be one of the favorites to win the title next year if they keep everybody together, which they should. Uh, but I don't mind a Warriors bet here. I think uh, everyone's kind of assuming this goes back to Game 7, except for the guys in the Golden State locker room. And that's what Steve Kerr said immediately. First thing he said right out of his mouth, guys, we're ending this in Boston. He said, like, get your affairs in order. Do what you got to do. You have a day off. We're ending this in Boston. Pack, you know. I don't know if he said pack goggles because we're going to be popping champagne, but it was a very somber and straightforward message that uh, you don't want it. You don't want this settled in one game and they have it in their grasp right now. Jordan mentioned Jordan never went seven and I don't uh, wouldn't 
Gun to my head. I bet the Warriors. I don't think the I, money line even. I, I don't think the Warriors lose this game. So circle back to Jordan again. The fact that, and I think that this is something that a lot of people probably haven't considered, but this is something that I always considered is that Jordan never played a game seven because I always felt like game six was the hardest game for the team that was down. If Boston wins this game, I'll tell you right now, they are they are extremely live in game seven to go out there and not only win, but to win by margin because the, the amount of pressure I think that is on that team right now, physically and mentally, if they can get through this game, they're going to be like, whew, we made it. We, we made it to a game seven, and, and there's just going to be so much lifted off their shoulders. And if, if teams weren't able to get to a game seven against Jordan, and look, it's Jordan. I get it. We're, we're trying to compare greatness. But I feel like game six for the team that's down is, is I don't want to say ten times harder, but I think it's it's significantly harder to win game six than it is game seven. I'm not sure if you agree with that, McKenzie, but I've always felt like that. And I think that right now with everything that I'm seeing, that this is like a perfect example of a, of a terrible spot for Boston. Even though they're coming back home, I think this is a bad spot for that team. Just ran some numbers and you're going to like them. So in game six, if you're down. How do you run these numbers that quick? Magic. I have, uh, you know. Magic fingers and magic websites to help me out. Uh, <laughs> if you're in a game six and you only have two series wins, that means you're down two, three. In any playoff game, only 42% against the spread. So if you're up three, two in any series, road or away, 58% since 2003 for the team with the chance to close it out. So I think everyone assumes, oh man, this has been a crazy series back and forth. In general, that's the general thought. And it's not really true. This is really a lot harder to get to a game seven than people realize. By the way, ran it just in the finals. 11 games, eight times. The team with a chance to close it out in game six, closed it out in game six, winning against the spread. So, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think we're, I think we're, we're bucking a, a narrative, a first take kind of hot take reaction in narrative that this is always going to go seven because these teams are close. Teams can be very close, and one team can have that little bit of mental edge that shows up uh, to close it out. All right. Well, that made me feel even better. And I do think there's you know, a lot of mental edges in this one that are in favor of, of Golden State. All right, McKenzie, so you have a best bet. Yeah, let me give out a bonus pick here. And I think that I think this makes sense. And I don't know if they're going to play Wiggins the same exact way that, that he played last time, but for some reason, this dude's rebounding the basketball at an alarming rate, like something that we haven't seen from him uh, pretty much all season long. But in the last two games, this dude's been dominating the glass. And I think he realizes now, if I go out there and I and I get my buckets and I go out there and I get my rebounds, we stand a really good chance to win. So I think we see Andrew Wiggins attack the glass and just really just get in there and just get nasty. This is going to be the most physical game he probably ever played in his NBA career. So I like him over his seven and a half rebounds. So maybe it's a square pick there, McKenzie. But if there's ever going to be a game where Andrew Wiggins really wakes up, I mean, it's got to be this game. This might actually be the best game that he plays in this entire series just because he has this confidence and the team around him has the trust and say, dude, go out there and do your thing, and we're going to end up winning this thing. Andrew Wiggins, I think, has a monster game here. I think seven and a half rebounds just too low. And I don't know if Boston or, or Golden State changes anything, you know, when it comes to whatever he's been doing to get all these rebounds. Yeah, 29 rebounds the last two games. Uh, only thing keeping me off it is that he had 29 rebounds the last two games. So <laughs> are, are we coming late to the party is the question. But he's definitely going to get his opportunities. 42 minutes in game five, most minutes of anybody um, on the Warriors. I expect that to continue. So he'll definitely have uh, the minutes. And seven and a half right now uh, is – it's adjusted up, but it's not It's not a crazy adjustment uh, from the previous game, six and a half. So I don't mind that pick. You know, McKenzie, I think something as you were talking there, I was just thinking about this, is that I think that maybe if we go back and we look at these particular games, let's say like a game six or a game seven, I have a feeling like, you know, that we're talking about how the spread hasn't mattered. I have a feeling like these game sixes and game sevens when it comes to the player props, that a lot of those numbers aren't going to matter either because I feel like – that there's um, maybe a lot of motivation involved for a lot of players to, you know, go out there. And, and, and we're, as we're talking, like a lot of narratives and things like that, um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of support and a lot of hate. So I think that some players, they just, 
they blow these numbers out of the water. And uh, it's going to be interesting in a couple of years when we get back and we look at your, uh, you know, look at your database that you've been building to go back and find out like, hey, maybe player props are a way to go, you know, for game six and game seven that the market's not right on those either. Well, I'll say this. Uh, rebounds over is good when you get a lot of misses and game six is 58%, sorry, 57% since 2003 have gone under game seven, same thing. And just anecdotally, uh, what was Kobe's rebound prop in Game 7 of 2010? I bet it wasn't 14 and a half, and he got 15. Kevin Garnett, exactly the opposite situation. For whatever reason, had three rebounds in that Game 7. So uh, very much high variance, not even close to the number. If you have the right handicap, you might win by margin on some of these. This is one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast with you, because I'm not the statistical guy. You can tell that McKenzie is. And we just have like a great chemistry. Somebody actually said that on Twitter the other day because you and I had this great chemistry. And I, I'll be honest with you, when it comes to the numbery stuff, I'm like, I wish I had somebody like a McKenzie next to me where I could just say a bunch of stuff <laughs> and he can go in there and find it and go, no, dude, you're wrong. Or, or yeah, dude, you're right. With the quickness that you do it, it amazes me. Like I said, we're, you're going to have to sit down with me one day, McKenzie, and give me a class on how the hell you do it. and all that. I know you got websites buried somewhere that you don't share with people. <laughs> Not going to lie, I do. <laughs> I know you do. Um, and if we ever find the the big shot statistical website, if I do find that one, you know, that we were talking about, I'll, I'll make sure I, I share that with you. But I think it's time, Mackenzie, that you went ahead and you shared your best bet. Uh, six in a row, as I had mentioned. So, Mackenzie, we're going to make it seven with yours and we'll make it eight with mine. What's your best bet? My best bet for game six, Robert Williams over 16 and a half points and rebounds combined. Add the points and the rebounds. So the last three games, he's gone over this prop. Every game, he's gone over his points props, two out of the last three. He's gone over his rebounds, two out of the last three. The last two games, despite the fact that they lost both games, Robert Williams was by far the best Celtic. And even better for this bet, he played the most minutes he's played at any point in the playoffs. So we were worried about his health coming into these series. Having two days off multiple times has been a big difference. And just this matchup, having guys come at him at the rim uh, amplifies his va his value to the Celtics massively. So he's playing more minutes. I think desperation, this is the one game all playoffs where Ime Adoke is not thinking about Robert Williams, you know, medium-term health. He's thinking, I got to win this game. This guy has been plus 31 in this series that they're losing. So obviously minus more than 31. Uh, when he's not on the court. And I think they, it's an all-in game for them. I think they play a massive minutes. And I don't really think they have a choice. I mentioned this earlier. Grant Williams has been atrocious in this series. Minus 18 in a few minutes in game five. Minus 37 in the series. If they're going to minimize Grant Williams, 23 years old, not ready for this moment, Al Horford is going to give him as much as they can. But they're really going to lean on Robert Williams, I think, in this desperation mode. So... Uh, wasn't sure I was going back and forth between points and rebounds. Figured this is the best way to get at it. He's gone, th he's gone over this prop three times in a row. I think he'll make it four in a row. Robert Williams, over 16 and a half points and rebounds. And never say that I'm not giving you value picks because this is actually plus 100. So if I'm trying to protect my record, I'd probably pick a minus, 100, a minus 110 or a minus 140. I give you the best pick that I have on a particular night. Robert Williams, over 16 and a half, even money, best bet. I would not fade that pick because we tried. I tried. I said, well, we're going to play Williams under, and that, that didn't work out too well. And look, trying to fade Williams at, at this point, I think it's probably just a mistake. Mackenzie, I'll say this about him. That dude was not healthy. I, I don't think he's healthy right now, but he's going out there and he's giving everything he got. You got to give that dude credit, uh, whether he's – you know, I think he had talked about it in this press conference that, you know, he's just going to go in there and he's he's going to give everything that he has. He's going to try to get as much rehab and all that that he can. But that dude makes a big difference. You know, you talked about Grant Williams not being a factor. You know, the Boston bench hasn't been great. Go back to last game. If you take garbage time away, I mean, they're outscored by Golden State's bench 31-4. to So they have to have this guy on the floor. And look, if Boston wins, it's going to be because he plays big minutes. And I think that uh, he might be one of the more rewarded players on Boston if they, in fact, you know, end up winning the title because it, I, I think a lot of it starts with him, McKenzie, believe it or not, not only on the defensive end, but I think on the offensive end too. He's been chipping in uh, at a really important moment. So 
Uh, I like that pick. I'm not going to go ahead and fade that. I'm not giving that out again. Uh, I don't want everybody pointing the finger and laughing at me. All right, so before I go and wrap up the podcast there, let me go ahead and give you guys a quick promo right now on pregame.com. You guys can go ahead and you can get 35 bulk dollars for just $25. You can use those bulk dollars to get my next pick, McKenzie's next pick, uh, maybe Fezzik, AJ, Griffin, whoever it might be. You guys can go ahead and save a little bit of cash. If you guys are not a member at pregame, uh, you guys can also get $25 free dollars there. Simple sign up, 90 seconds. Go in there, put your information, create your screen name. Uh, post your picks. You guys can select picks that will track your record and everything like that. Be a part of the pregame community. And you guys will get a free $25 just for signing up. But a lot of ways to go ahead and save and make some money. Mackenzie, I think we're going to make money again with our podcast. Hopefully our listeners are happy. Uh, you and I have been uh, we've been doing really well with these podcasts. So, But with that said, we'll go ahead and wrap up the podcast. You guys know where to find me on Twitter, SleepyJ underscore pregame. At Mac and Rivers, you guys could always get us at pregame.com. With that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck for NBA game number six in the finals. Enjoy the game.